When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics. Here's your host, Todd McKim. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics. Bears coming off a real nice win over the Arizona Wildcats to open conference play this week. Game two of conference play against the Washington State Cougars a little bit later on. We will hear from Matt Chasnow, who's the play-by-play announcer for the Cougars, and also a, a young man who had a great game against Arizona, Ben Coleman, who was named the Pac-12 Offensive Lineman of the Week. Why don't we start right there with Ben? He kind of led the charge. He was the only guy this past week that actually started at, uh, at the position that he started at every game this year. The other four guys either hadn't started or had shuffled a little bit, just your thoughts about not only the performance of Ben and what he brings to your offensive line, but also your offensive line in general this week. Well, Ben's a, a veteran and is a leader for us. And I think he uh, took a step forward this week, just like the whole group, but really proud of Ben. And he, he cares deeply about the game and his teammates. And uh, I know he was, you know, itching to get it back on the field uh, this past weekend, and he did a heck of a job. Uh, he and the rest of the guys uh, offensively just did a, did a heck of a job and uh, look forward to those guys building on that and 
continuing to grow as a group and as a unit and look forward to playing better each week. Yeah, I talked to Ben right after the game on the field. And, you know, he mentioned the fact that the, the offensive line hadn't played as well as they thought they should have played in the first three games. They took it personally, which you like to see. Some guys go into a shell. Other guys, you know, step up to the occasion and say, hey, I'm going to do something about it. And he certainly was indicative of that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Todd. I mean, when when you get challenged like that, um, you know, by your teammates, coaches, just in general, there's one of two ways to go. And uh, I think Ben is a competitor and uh, he's a prideful guy, just like the rest of those guys that stepped up. So it's great to see them uh, take the next step. And uh, obviously the entire offense, whether it's tight ends, receivers, running backs, QBs, everybody had their moments, but uh, it starts with those guys up front because without them, without them playing well, it's hard to play good offense. You know, we, we haven't seen as much of sessions at the right tackle spot as we have seen of three of the five offensive linemen, certainly Matt Sindrick, Driscoll, and Coleman. But the other thing I mentioned to Ben after the game was I saw a little higher level of nastiness in that game from that group. And, and those three guys in particular, and then Vatikani, you inserted him into the starting lineup. Nasty might be his middle name. Uh, talk about what you saw on the field because it looked like they finished blocks as well as they have all year long. I would agree with that. Uh, I think that's something that we all and they challenge themselves to do is, you know, playing that position. It's a physical position. It's every down and uh, kind of a war of attrition. You know, somebody's got to give at some point and we don't ever want it to be us. And so I thought they took that to heart, played with an edge. We challenged them to play with an edge and they did. Uh, it's a simple concept, but hard to do over and over, but it kind of gives you a peek inside the, uh, in, into their character. Uh, you mentioned Siwape. I mean, he is, he's born to be that guy. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how many times we saw him finishing, whether it was runs or passes down on the pile and Siwape made some great blocks in the game. He's just, I mean, he's just scratching the surface of what he's going to be as a player, but his demeanor and the attitude that he plays with is evident. You notice it, everybody notices it. And, uh, you know, along with him being 320 pounds and really strong, that attitude is going to take him a long way. Yeah. And Jade Knott's second touchdown, the shortest of the three touchdowns, he looked like a hammer thrower as he virtually grabbed Jaden and about three or four other guys and, and flung him towards the goal line and, and uh, gave Jaden the impetus to, to score that touchdown. So, I mean, he's the kind of guy that you can build around, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, even prior to that uh, touchdown, there was a, a third down play. We threw a Jack made a really nice throw and a really nice catch by a lot. Uh, excuse me. It was on a different drive, but uh, Jack made a really nice throw to Elijah Maharo on one. And, and when you watch the video and you just kind of slow it down, if you look from the back, here comes Siawape, man. And there's a pile and, you know, I just told everybody, I'm hoping to God that he doesn't hit our guy because he is rolling and he is going to hit something and somebody. And we're just hopeful that, it, you know, we're glad that it wasn't Elijah Maharo. So uh, we're going to keep working with him on who to hit. But uh, the mentality and you, you mentioned it on Jaden's run, uh, the, the ability to get in there and mix it up and make sure that Jaden didn't go down. That was big. Yeah, and he got hurt on that play, too. I think it was a left shoulder. I was watching him on the sidelines as the trainers attended to him, and it was obvious he was in a lot of pain, and yet he came back in the ballgame a little bit later on. So he's got all those intangibles. 
Yeah. The week before he, uh, he had had a cramping issue. And, uh, so he, he had had an issue the week before as well. And so we're working with him on that, but, um, he was not about to come out. I mean, he's one of those guys that you don't want to be the person to tell him he's out of the game. You know, if he ever has to be pulled, it's not going to be me telling him I'm going to have to word that to somebody else. You got to stay out of reach if you tell him he's not in the game. Well, that's the luxury of being a head coach. You can delegate responsibilities. (laughs) Or just say it from a long way away. (laughs) From a long way away. Uh, Jay Nott obviously had a tremendous game, third highest rushing total in Cal history. His job at best had the all-time record 311 against the Huskies in 08. But uh, he he, not only did he show the speed, but there was, I I think on something like 30% of his runs, he got hit behind the line of scrimmage initially. He, he's got a little bit more power than people think he has in addition to that speed, doesn't he? He does. Uh, and the balance and vision, he's just a, he's a good runner. I mean, he, I mean, that's stating the obvious, but you know, the, the big touchdown runs, everybody sees those, you know, and how it's easy to, when it goes 70 plus yards, it's, it's easy to see, Whoa, that guy's got something. He's got speed. We know that made a nice cut, but I mean, I, I remember one on the third and three where we run a zone play in it and we don't get the guy cut off at the end and he has to jump cut it and then redirect another a second time and then get forward. He got I think four yards, got us the first down. It's probably one of the better runs. It was only four yards, you know, so not the 73 yarder, but you know, just as impressive to be able to get those four yards uh, under the circumstances. Arizona came into the ball game was showing that they had the ability to score points. We'd seen that against, you know, San Diego State, we saw it against North Dakota State, the ability to move the, the football. But um, were you a little surprised at how successful they were, especially in that first half? Because the second half, you clamped down on it pretty good. They only got seven points. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say we knew that they were good coming in. They have good coaches, good scheme. Uh, the receivers are talented. Mm-hmm. They are. And the QB is a uh, gifted athlete. And he can run and throw and get out of trouble. I think we talked about that last week. So. You know, the ones where they throw the, the corner out in the end zone, they jumped up and made the play over us. They threw the fade on the sideline. Uh, they threw the one kind of up and over the flat defender on the sideline to the guy tiptoed it. You know, those are earned plays, but there is a lot of plays in there, whether it's a run game or a pass game where we just did not perform well. And, uh, you know, we got to be better as a defense. The first half defense was probably as bad as we played you know, in a long time and not to the standard, uh, you know, what we would expect and what the guys expect from themselves. And it was a combination of eye control, uh, you know, technique, tackling. We didn't rush uh, real well at times. So, uh, you know, it was great coming out in the third quarter and getting some, you know, the two, three and outs and then the sack fumble. I mean, that really changed the the uh, dynamics and the complexion of the game that third quarter did. So. Uh, kudos to the guys for stepping up big and then late in the game, getting the two interceptions, you know, Daniel and, and Isaiah both made good plays on the ball, but you know, other than that, we need to play a lot better and the guys understand that um, they felt it, but uh, it was a combination. You know, we just technique wasn't real good. Uh, our finishing wasn't real good and they have good players and they made some plays on us. Speaking of a team that's got some good players and has played well this year, that'd be Washington state. Uh, they got a quarterback, their wide receivers are talented. Um, they run it a little bit more than we've seen maybe in these air raid offenses. They actually started a tight end, like for the first time in eternity last week against Oregon. So that position does exist in the current Washington State offense. 
we talk about their quarterback, Cam Ward, because he came in highly uh, talented kid, highly valued kid on the portal from Incarnate Word, was one of the best players at that level the last couple of years. Uh, talk about him and the problems that he presents. Is, is he similar in any regards to what you saw this last week to Jaden Delara or different? Um, yeah, I mean, Jaden's a very talented uh, player, <clears throat> no doubt. He's hard to tackle. He's, you know, kind of – he was uh, – very difficult to get him on the ground. Elusive has a live arm. Uh, Ward is a just a very, very, very unique talent. The ability to get the ball out of his hand accurately uh, from catch to throw, it is a really impressive. I mean, you just don't see it much. Um, and they utilize his skills, you know, the RPO game, uh, the drop back game. He's very calm. He doesn't really hurry much. Um, but he has an uncanny ability to get the ball out of his hand quickly and accurately, just very rare. So you see why he was so successful um, last year, and then you see why there was such a, uh, I guess, uh, the recruiting market was like it was. You know, there's a reason for that. He is uh, every bit as good as advertised, probably better. Wow. That's interesting. Defensively, until the Oregon game, and quite frankly, the Oregon game was a, an interesting one to watch because Oregon moved the ball but couldn't punch it in. I think they kicked five field goals uh, early in the game, uh, and then they got it going late in the ball game in the last three minutes. But the Cougars were pretty much in control much of the game. But defensively, in the first three games they played, including a huge win at Wisconsin, no team had scored more than 17 points against them. So mm. what is – this Washington State defense uh, doing this year that uh, has you concerned? You know, their personnel, uh, they're real good up front. Their edge players are very talented, 10 and 80. Um, the linebacking group is active and quick and explosive. They play very aggressively, uh, 1 and 51. Their nickel, their nickel is a pretty unique guy. They'll leave him in against bigger groups and have him play like a kind of an outside linebacker type role. And then in man-to-man, -man, he just covers the slot receivers. So that's pretty unique. You know, uh, you don't see that a lot where there's a guy who's big enough and stout enough to line up and play the run against big tight ends and pulling guards and whatever he might face. And then also just put him in the slot and he plays man coverage with not much help. So the nickel's very talented. Safeties are active. I mean, they're, they're good. You know, they're four-down unit. Uh, they got some, you know – Cover three, cover one. Uh, they got some seven up. They'll pressure you. They will get after you, and you got to be able to protect and and you know sting them if they're going to do that. And so, uh, not many people have been able to. You know, when they they got after people, those corners and nickel are covering really well, and they're getting after people in the pass game. Well, it'll be a challenge. Always is, and always an interesting trip up to the Palouse. Uh, We'll talk to you a little bit later on in the week prior to the ball game. Get some more intel on Washington State. Have a good week of practice. Thanks, Todd. Go Bears. Joining us now is the Pac-12 Offensive Lineman of the Week for the California Golden Bears, Ben Coleman. Tackle, 6'4", 330. Congratulations on the award. That's, that's nice to get to uh, be singled out is one thing. I'm sure you're proud of that, but you got to be proud of the offensive line's performance against Arizona. Uh, what did you think of the performance after you've watched the film for a day or two? I think it's, you know, it's, it's always something to clean up. I think that's what we're always focused on is improving um, from week to week. Um, we were definitely proud of the outcome and how the O-line played. 
Uh, you know, there's people playing different positions, which was big time. And I think everybody just showed up. Uh, we weren't proud of the first three weeks, so we wanted to make sure that we made a statement. And, you know, we were pretty glad we were able to do that. Yeah, we were talking to Justin Wilcox earlier on the podcast, and we we talked about the fact when things aren't going well and, and uh, you can go one of two ways. You can either kind of become a cocoon and crawl up inside yourself, or you can do something about it. And that's what you guys did last week against Arizona, right? Exactly. hundred uh, percent. We want to make sure that, you know, whatever happened in the past happened in the past. It is what it is now. Uh, we're just focused on, you know, going forward. Talk about the changes in the O-line uh, because you were the only guy in this game to actually start at the same position. Uh, Sessions obviously had played tackle, but he mm -hmm. hadn't started a game, I don't believe. So tell us about those changes and, and why and how they worked. Uh, well, you know, the coaching staff made the changes based off, you know, what, where they see fit. Um, I don't really have any, you know, too much information on why they made the changes. But I think the great part that we've always taken pride in is there's a lot of guys on our offensive line that can play multiple positions. I know I've done it. Um, and like I said, Sindo and Brian have done it multiple times in practices. They switched out centers in between um, in between reps and in between racks of, uh, you know, during camp or whatever it may be, just because, you know, guys can play it, you know, get reps there. I've taken a rep at a, at guard or whether that be pass rush or whatever it may be. So I think that we really pride ourselves on being as versatile as possible because in situations like this, it, it comes up big time. Tell us how the young pup did, very Connie. I mean, uh, he came in and uh, he moves the pile. Definitely. He's a big guy, big, strong guy. Uh, we love having him. Great energy. Um, like I said, he came in there and, and did what he was supposed to. We want to make sure that, you know, hey, you're a freshman. You have so many more games. Just go out there and let it loose. Don't worry about making mistakes. And he did that. He did great. Uh, we had great pulls. He had a great pull, um, you know, great push on the pile with Jaden on that last, I mean, on one of those touchdowns right there in the red zone, red area. So we're really proud of him. You know, he stepped up big time. And I mean, it was nothing that, you know, that he did that we thought that he couldn't do. Um, but we're just glad that everybody else was able to find out and see. Yeah, you alluded to Jaden's second touchdown when there was a big old, almost looked like a rugby scrum. And Vitticani looked like a hammer throw. He like grabbed a couple of guys and almost flung Jaden towards the end zone. Right. They, they say he's one of, if not the strongest guys in the weight room. I mean, how strong is this young man? Definitely super strong, super powerful. Um, I said in a previous interview, we were doing just some player run practice stuff in the summer and he came off and he hit somebody so hard. He's like, Vati, Vati, you know, we're not, we're not there yet. We're, we're just working on footwork, the basic things for all the young guys to figure it out. But, you know, we love that. We love the intensity and that he's able to come in here and make a big impact. And like I said, he's strong as I don't know what. And we talk about some people just come from the factory. Like yeah. that. one of those people <laughs> come from the factory. I like it. He, uh, Justin also said that, you know, he, when he goes downfield to block that not always is he hitting like the other team's guys, that sometimes if there's a, a pile, some of your guys can take a little bit of his beating, right? So he's got we got to get him to make sure he's sitting the other team's jerseys. Yeah, definitely, because he's definitely a big guy. I mean, we love the big piles. Obviously, you have to be smart as far as safety and everything. But um, anytime that you know, our running back can, 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 can stand up and, and keep turning his legs, you want to make sure we get on the pile to be able to push it because um, we, had, we had one play like that in Notre Dame. It was like that, and we was able to get a, a big push. And so we want to keep doing that. We were able to do it a couple of times this game. And like I said, we encourage the backs to stay up and keep turning the feet. You know, if we're on a block or you finish a block, um, we just run in there and try to get the, the biggest push we can. What's it like to block for a guy like Jay Knott? Well, I think he's, he's, a, he's a speedy guy. 
And then, you know, those are, those are one of those guys that, man, just get to your point and get movement, and it's almost like he'll take care of the rest. Um, you know, O-line, we did a great job, but, you know, anytime that the running back can rush for high yards, it means that we're doing something right. So we love that he's getting everything that he's getting, and we want to get him as much yards as possible, as well as the other backs. The more that they can rush for, the more that Jack can pass for, just lets us know that we're doing, a, we're doing an okay job. Yeah, you guys are normally an unsung heroes, but uh, not so this week. You guys were heroes and got some recognition for it. That's always nice. Have you always been a big guy? I think I've always been a big guy just because, uh, you know, like I said, coming from the fact that my dad was a big guy and just genetics, I've always been a big guy. I think younger, I mean, more of a slimmer, taller build. And then, like I said, then everything starts, you know, widen. Now you start to lift weights and everything, and you kind of form into your body. But um, I've definitely probably always been – the heavier part of my class. And then obviously going into, going into, you know, college, everybody's kind of heavy guys. You have guys, the D line, O line that are heavy guys, but yeah, I think definitely always been a, a big guy. hundred percent. When's the last time or if ever you got your hands on a football? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it's been some fun stuff, but uh, I think that uh, I can't really remember specifically. Of course I've played things, you know, being able to use my athleticism, doing some tight end things. Okay. Um, I think specifically if I could if I could bring one time that I brought it up, it would probably be if I remember. So my eighth grade year, I got my hands on a football a couple of times. Um, and besides that, probably be freshman in high school. I remember I just had got a strip. And so that would probably be the, okay. the, the two times. But eighth grade, it was able, you know, we used to do a couple of fun stuff because it was eighth grade football, tackle passes and <laughs> two point conversions. And then I was able to pick up a fumble and take it to the house, too. So. Oh, nice. I mean, when you go to bed and you have a dream, do you dream of a pancake block or running for a touchdown? I think every, I think every big guy we call it fat guys. We all have our dreams, um, <laughs> and there's a lot of things that happen. But you know, I think you know. Ultimately, I love. I mean, I love catching passes. I mess with the DBs a whole bunch. I mess with them all the time, just going through their facility. But I think I think most of the time is you know I just want to be the best person I can be. And if that's pancake blocks, and if that's at one point you know having a real fun moment for everybody, catching a touchdown or something like that, then I would be excited. But that's not something that I think about often. This week, Washington State, they created some problems last year in a game in Berkeley where they were able to, uh, particularly on the edges, they got two really good edge rushers. What have you seen on tape so far from the Cougars? Well, Washington State's kind of familiar. Um, me and 82 are, I mean, best of friends. He plays oh. a linebacker. Um, we lived with each other in high school. Everybody knew that, uh, you know, and uh, same thing. Uh, Brennan Jackson, he's also from Temecula. So, um, you know, familiar, had had runners with him. You know, just being able to know some of the roommates. Donovan Ali is a is a real good guy. So being a familiar, it's always fun to play those guys, especially when there's such a close family relationship. Um, but yeah, there's some great edges. Ron is, you know, is a good edge. Brandon is a good edge as well. Um, I think that uh, they came in there and they kind of shocked us uh, last year because we definitely expected to win. And I think we just didn't finish. We was able to yeah. move the ball and then we got to the red zone. We just weren't able to finish. And it was some disappointment. So it felt a little weird after that game because it felt like we kind of were in control a lot of times during the game, but then the outcome just didn't exactly show that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's great defense. They do a lot of movement and stuff like that. So it's, you know, no different than um, some teams we faced. Arizona was a, was a movement team as well. Um, so we just want to pretty much, you know, rep as much as we can and then, you know, prepare ourselves as much as we can to go up there to the Palouse and come out with a win. That's the that's yeah, last, yeah, last year's game had one of the stranger plays I've seen in quite some time. You guys scored. PAT was missed. They get the ball back. And on fourth down, Nick Alton comes in and blocks a punt. So it looks like you're going to get great field position, maybe take the lead. And, and somehow they pick it up and get a first down and then that phenomenal catch in the end zone for a touchdown. And it was like after that, it was almost like a stunned feeling. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody was stunned. It's like, what in the world just happened? 
Yeah, I definitely agree. It was definitely that feeling just because, like I said, it felt like it was big plays made, but then it was somehow it, we didn't benefit from those plays at all. Um, so we want to make sure that we get back to our explosive plays. And our biggest thing that we've been harping on this year is just finish. Yeah. Finish, finish, finish. A lot of times last year we did not finish games, and it was a lot of times where the offense was left on the field um, on the last play of the game. Like you said, kind of in that stun moment, you know, Washington, yeah. Oregon, TCU, and it, it was some big-time games that we let slip away. So I think our, our biggest goal this year is to make sure we finish. And we we started off good last week, and so we want to make sure we go to Washington State that no matter what, we want to make sure we finish. No matter how the game goes and how it ends up, we want to make sure that we finish everything. Yeah, it'll be the first game you've actually played at Washington State two years ago. Um, COVID hit, and you guys were like on the bus getting ready to go to the stadium, right? Yeah, that was a shock feeling as well. That was a crazy experience. Like I said, um, like I said, number 82 is best of friends. And I kind of got, they kind of gave us phone calls and, you know, your equipment guys are, are, are cleaning stuff up. And I'm like, okay, I don't have any information right now. Just give me a second. We're all trying to figure out. Um, but it ended up being one of the, the crazier memories. It's crazy how football goes. And to see everybody, you know, go out there and have snowball fights, I'm sure we all would have loved to play. Um, 100%. But I think it was just one of those memories. It was kind of a crazy thing. We'll remember it during COVID. Everything was so unexpected. But just going out there and having snowball fights and everything, getting back on the flights. I think it was during COVID, it was hard times. I think that was one of the the glimpses of joy that we had, yeah. um, you know, during that COVID year was to, to you know, and I think that was the, yeah, that was the last game, of course. It was. Yeah, because yeah, we didn't play game, Arizona uh, after that either. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't play Arizona. And we, we had a feeling that we weren't going to be able to play them. Um, once again, my, my, my head coach's uh, son, uh, that was his last year playing. Um, oh. So my high school head coach's son, he plays cornerback Lorenzo Burns. So I was excited about that opportunity because it was two games back to back where I was playing people real close to me. But I think during COVID, it was it was hard on a lot of people. So I think that was just crazy how we had that glimpse of joy, you know, even for if, for a couple hours just to be able to enjoy. And went to a lot of people went to the Buffalo Wild Wings across the street. And there were some yep. Washington State players there and everybody kind of understood. And so everybody kind of chopped it up. And I think it was it was great vibes, although we would have loved to play. Yeah, no question about it. And I'm, I'm reading in your bio and it says among the schools that offered you a scholarship coming on high school were the service academies. It says Army, Navy and the Air Force. Now, you know, Army, Navy, I can see. But would you have been a fighter pilot in the Air Force? Would you have been able to get in like an F-18 or something? Well, um, you know, I, I ran through shop put a year and I actually the shop coach is a, he, he was a pilot in the Navy. Oh, really? um, went to Navy, him and his wife as well. And it, I think all this stuff is flying is really cool. I think it's really unique. Um, I don't think I ever would have been, but I think <laughs> it's pretty unique, the stuff that they do. And, and I, you know, I, I definitely have admiration for guys that do stuff like that because it seems so crazy to us, but I always try to put myself in the shoes that for them, some people, that's just what they do. And, you know, football seems so crazy to a lot of people and they can understand it. But I think to those pilots, like, man, this is what I do and I do it great. And there's hard times and bad times, but this is kind of this is kind of my thing. And so I always have I always I always remember that, you know, a little note to myself is that, you know, as it seems crazy to me, this is somebody else's daily life and this is what they do. And it comes to them natural and they're able to work at it, you know, through a lot of hard work and preparation. But it's just something that, you know, comes natural to a lot of people. Yeah, it could have been a Top Gun. Imagine. Being a, I think a lot of us dream about being a Top Gun when we grow up, and then it's like the reality sets is, nah, that that's just ain't going to happen. It's exactly. Not. It's a stretch. <laughs> hey, Ben, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. Uh, congratulations on the victory over Arizona and the award being the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. And uh, it'd be nice to see you double up on that award this week at Washington State. Go get them. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Ben Coleman. Terrific job last week. Joining us now is a longtime friend, great broadcaster for the Washington State Cougars, Matt Chaz. Now, we go back before you were actually 
doing games for the Cougars when you were involved with the – it was IMG at the time, then, then it was IMG Learfield. Now it's just Learfield. But you, you were kind of involved in those broadcasts, so we've known each other for quite some time. It, it's great to hear your voice. Oh, Todd, it's great to talk to you on the record and off as well. <laughs> but, oh, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm really glad you reached out, and, and I'm happy to do it. And I don't know the – the year and the date specifically, but shoot, I bet we've been working together for about 15, yeah, like certainly over 10 years, give yeah. or take 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been at Cal for what's this 16, 17 years. So yeah, it was right about that time. So yeah, it was always great to talk to you back when you were kind no. of behind the scenes. Now you're, you're front and center with the Cougars having, having a, a great run up there, not only football, but basketball has, has done really well. So you've got to be enjoying your time with the Cougs, I would think. Well, when we first started talking, I was the youngest of pups. I was yeah. I was brand new to the whole deal, and I was learning from you and and learning from everybody I could be a sponge with. And and yeah, this cougar experience has been just awesome. And and the cougar whole cougar thing yeah. is is the best of both worlds in that it's a big state school, but it's also this intimate place where everybody feels like they know each other. And, and so if you go to a teensy little private college in the Northeast, right, if you go to a small liberal arts school and you have 4,000 students there, 2,000 in a real small one, you really do know everybody, right? And, but if you go to a big state school, you're just a number and you don't know, but it's fun because you got football and there's big, big parties. And so you, Washington State sort of specializes in threading the needle between both, you know, and Pullman's small. And um, But you're spot on with regard to the quality on the playing surfaces. I mean, the football team's been at times great yep. we, we can get into that and then the basketball team you know historically cougar basketball is regarded as a very hard job and and kyle smith knows that right pat chun knows that our, yep. our ad uh, but but also a job that basically once a decade for the most part once a decade gets really good and generally if you're the best if you're a coach at washington state they've had some of the best right raveling Kelvin Sampson, Tony Bennett, you know, Dick, Dick Bennett, Tony Bennett, and, um, and Kyle's trying to be that next guy. And, and so far so good, you know, it's been really fun. Yeah. He's done a tremendous job. Of course, we know him down here at USF coach a couple of years had, had some great years there at USF. And when he was at Columbia had great success there as well. St. Mary's an assistant with, you know, with that program. So we, we know Kyle, he's a, he's a really fun guy to be around uh, an awesome guy, but you've got a new first year coach technically, now, last year, Nick Rolovich, that didn't work out for reasons we don't need to go into right now. But uh, Jake Dickert came in, uh, did a tremendous job, finished the year with the biggest win ever over the Huskies in the Apple Cup. I mean, that energized, I'm sure, the fan base to to new heights. Got off to a terrific start this year, 3-0 with a big win at Wisconsin. That was a milestone win for, for the Cougars, no question about that, on the road. And then last week, seemingly had Oregon dead to rights, and they, they were kind of like Lazarus. They, they kind of rose from the dead, right, and and scored 29 fourth-quarter points. And as you're sitting there broadcasting that game, what's going through your mind? Well, the, the game didn't feel like Oregon was out of it. Like, it, it wasn't like the 29-point fourth quarter and the way they did it was inconsistent with the other three quarters in that they were constantly in the red zone. And then the Cougar red zone D was spectacular, yeah. including a 95 yard pick six. So they were constantly threatening. And the, the vision is, is bend, but don't break. And that's really the trend now in football and, and probably in part because of the way it's officiated. And I don't mean that in a negative way. 
I think rules are often manipulated in all kinds of sports to promote offense. And that's generally, that's how hockey's always met with the crease and you've got you know baseball frankly we think they mess with the balls and tighten the balls up and you get more home runs or whatever they're doing they're always promoting offense and um and in football right now it's really really hard to defend the pass right the way pass interference the way holding uh, cut blocks in space right it's just easier to get out and to run and so uh, Oregon and and took advantage in their game plan of bend but don't break. There is a point at which though you do, you're bending too much, yeah. and you know it's one thing to bend, it's one thing to to just waffle in the wind, and you're really bending, and it was too much of that. And so they got in the fourth quarter, and you know three, four, five things needed to happen for the Ducks to win the game. And they all did, you know, and I, I think that's the gut punch of that game is they did the job. However you want to look at it, they're up 12 with basically six minutes left, they being the Cougs, and they lost the game, right? And and so uh, Bo Nix was really good. And the Oregon Ducks, I'd love to hear the real story of what happened against Georgia. I think Georgia is on another planet. I think they're great. And they could play for a natty repeat and probably will. But they also played like a mildly close game with Kent State this past weekend. And I don't care who Georgia's backups are. They're all five-star kids. And I don't think the transitive property of sports is great. But I don't think the golden flashes are better than the Ducks. And I'd love to go back and hear what was going on with a new coaching staff and a bunch of transfers and a road essentially a road environment that's fake neutral and find out like what really went wrong against Georgia. Cause 49 to three, the ducks are better than that. And, and they're a pretty good football team. So it was a great game. I mean, Todd, it was, you're going to see this on Saturday. You and, and, and those Cal bear fans who travel or those who watch and listen, they're, they're going to consume like perfect Cougar football Saturday. You know, it's going to be a big crowd. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's an afternoon kick. So a lot of folks will drive in and then drive home. So you get some some ticket sales that way and some attendance increases and stuff. And so, um, you know, they, they did everything right except win the game. You know, and they, they were up till setting 646 or whatever. They're up by 12 and, and they had it won. Yeah, yeah they did. Uh, you mentioned officials. Um, we, we had an incident a couple of weeks ago at Notre Dame. Uh, a uh, manufactured call. You had a bizarre one as well where the officials lost track of the downs after an intentional grounding. The Cougars actually lost either second down or third down, however you want to look at it. But, you know, again, you're in Oregon territory. You got a chance to score. You get knocked out of field goal range. You think you have two downs to get it back, but suddenly it's third down instead of second down, run a draw play. And then they come back and they say, well, we'll give you third down over. I mean, why don't you just go back and say, We'll give you second and third down over and go back to the the point of the the, the problem. Uh, you know, did you guys know? Were you aware of what had happened at the time? You know what we were aware of. If you go back and you were to rewatch it, they actually not only messed the downs up, they messed the spot up. So what actually confused me is when it was an incorrect third and seventeen. It should have been second and seventeen. To your point, they actually spotted the ball as though it was third and nineteen. Oh. And and they they brought and they and they did it intentionally too. And I think what happened was, you know, they did it intentionally, but they did it wrong, right? That it was the incorrect thing, but they did it with intent. And I think they got confused. I think I think obviously they did because they made the wrong down. <laughs> they, they they lost the Cougs lost the down on offense. So there were all kinds of confusion, and and that was what was obvious to me. 
But when there's a cadence to the game, there's a way the umpire holds the ball. There's a spot the ref goes to. There's the line judge and the back judge. And then there's a sort of symphony going on that we're used to. At the high school level, it's when it really gets jammed up and crazy stuff happens and punters punt the ball sideways because they're no good and it's because there was a bad snap that's not called and all this stuff. It felt like that. It felt chaotic. It felt just out of rhythm. And I, I remember looking over at Brink like, this doesn't feel right. Something's wrong. And then we, we being the Cougs, they punted. There was this very long stoppage and we came back from break. And I, I, I said on the air, I said, what are they reviewing? What could they, because there was no flag. And it's very rare to have a review triggered. And, and my understanding is like, initially they weren't reviewing anything, but the, the hood was out. They just were like, we need to stop. The game's out of control. Yeah. And we need to stop the game. And all said and done, you're right. I, I, I will say this. In every possession matters, you get basically like 15 of them, you know, 10 in a in a quicker game and maybe maxes out at 15. And everyone matters, especially in a close game and a high scoring game. I didn't look back at that and say it was the difference in the game. It mattered. Don't get me wrong. But even including that, the Cougs were up 12 with six minutes to play, yeah. right? So, um, you know, you look back at the Cal-Notre Dame game, and and that really mattered, right? Like, that mattered. And that stinks. And it's a one-touchdown game. And I thought you were going to catch the Hail Mary, personally. And you had you're, it. You're not going to get a Hail Mary at Notre Dame, okay? That right. Have to visit <laughs> that's right. That's right. Good point. That's a good point. That's, that's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, the other thing, Chaz, though, that – at least the Pac-12 came out this week and admitted there was a mistake. Right. The, the ACC refuses to admit publicly that there was a mistake. As yeah, egregious as it was, that's what bothered me. I think. Yeah, there, and there's different ways to slice this to slice this bread. Like there's you know the reprimands and suspensions, and, and in part I kind of hate it for these guys because they're probably losing a game check, and not not that it's about the money, and and you know you want to have integrity and you want to have consistency. Um, really, really big picture. I think what we're finding is this for various reasons for these officials is really hard. Like oh, yeah. clearly this must be because Kevin McCabe was the ref. And I think we've had McCabe before. And let's go through like the top refs in the pack, right? You've got Mothershed, you've got Stribling, you've got McCabe is, is a, a notable name. You know, he's a guy, Richards is a guy who's been around, right? And there's only so many games. Well, none of these guys are perfect. And I, that's true uh, in the ACC, the Big Ten, and the SEC, and every. And I'll say this also: if you talk to other other broadcasters or maybe other fans, everyone goes, "Oh, our refs are the worst. Oh, the ACC refs are the worst. No, it's the Big Ten; they just call, call holding too much, or oh, it's the SEC." You know, every league kind of thinks the refs are the worst, and um, I just don't. I don't love. I think it's an easy like talk show host drum to bang. Now I'm not saying it's invalid sometimes. Like sometimes it's it's real and like the real disaster scenario that no one talks about is like Donaghy in the NBA, right? Yeah. Like, oh gosh, we've got <laughs> it's corrupt and he yes. needs to go to jail, you know. And this is so far from that, you know. And so um I, I'll say this. I, I I wish I would love to take a, a look in an offseason and, and maybe they'll do this when they expand the playoff. I'm I'm making this up, but I wonder if there are too many rules. And I wonder if every year they keep adding rules on. And it's kind of like, not to get political on this, but it's it's like how government never sets the sun on its programs. 
And and so you just have this expansion, this constant expansion of, of the rule book. And I'll be darned if at some point the refs are like, I don't know what hey, I don't know what a catch is either. <laughs> you know? I don't know what you tell me what a target is, you know. Yeah. You know, I, we just we add a rule to fix another rule. And I wonder if you know the XFL, when they first came back, one of their big things is we're gonna be able to hit again. Like we're going to have contact again in football. Now, I actually like targeting. I'm kind of in the minority and I'd be happy. We can talk about when go on. I'll go on and on with you forever, Todd. We could do this. But but I like a cleaner game. I like a safer game. It's still violent and it's still physical. But the head and the neck and and there being college kids, and most aren't pros. I like being extreme to be safer in those ways. And it doesn't bother me. But um you know, and I think dirty play is ugly, right? And and this this kind of skips head hunting, and I like that. But um, but I I do think the refs have this kind of strange burden that didn't used to exist. You know, we didn't used to have replay. We didn't used to have a lot of the rules we have now, and I think it's made it sort of impossible. Because otherwise, it'd be we'd have more perfect games. Yeah, and and we just have so few of them. Yeah, in some respects, the the replay is good uh in some respects it's maybe a little bit of a crutch but i'm of the belief that that'll just get the call right no matter what it what it is get it right now the other thing i have with replay chess is you got two minutes to make a decision if you can't make it in two minutes then then it's indecisive in my right. mind now right. the, what what the problem is is if you've got a big abc game or a big fox game and they got 12 14 cameras as opposed to a pac 12 conference game by the network you might only have seven so now right. you don't have all the angles, and, and I get it. And the other thing that Mike Pulaski, our analyst, always talks about is we got people at home watching on 70-inch flat-screen TVs, and the poor, poor replay official or the, the official down in the field is looking at like a 7-inch monitor, and he's trying to figure out the, the little angles, and did, it, did the toe touch the line or did it not? It's, get this guy a bigger screen, right? It's a, it's a great point. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. He's, yeah. he, Pulaski's got a great point. He's spot on. You know, He's not wrong. I, I think – like I like the scrutiny um, from the fan because it's fun. Yeah. I think it's hard when like they see better than the ref, and you're right. And um, but I I also think there's this other thing going on. We can um, we can talk more Cal Cal Cougs like whatever you know. I'm I'm at your mercy here. We can do whatever. But I but I do as I take a tangent. Um, I do think that fans don't know the rules. Oh yeah, and they really don't know. What what you know, I know, because you're on the sideline. There's a thing going on all games, especially in basketball, but it happens in football. A, a, a lot with wide receiver holding, at least that's what it was with mm -hmm. Mike Leach, right? That was a big thing. Let's, de let's define and confirm first quarter what a hold is, yeah. okay? That happens in the game. And there's a running dialogue with the side, with the side judge and, and with the officials, not just the referee, but the officials of, hey, if that's not a hold, we lose because the cadence of our system is off and you're going to give Cal the football game. The, the Cougs will never run the air raid. And they go, well, we're going to deem you correct, but I'm not going to throw a flag on it right now. I'm going to tell the corner they need to stop that. And I'm going to tell the opposing coach, hey, we're looking at holding. We think it's an issue. Just make sure his hands are in the in the you know, sternum area and not the shoulder pads. So this thing's going on all game long. Well, then a flag finally comes out in the fourth quarter at a key play. 
And it's because there's a precedent that's been set on an ongoing discussion and a dialogue that we're not privy to. And they don't have time to relay that fans really don't know. And they're inebriated and it's the fourth <laughs> quarter and they lose their minds because they're, they're unaware of this whole thing that's been going on. I think that's a key element to it that that's missing. Speaking of basketball, and this will be my final point on our conversation, Chaz, is basketball, there's some kind of a controversial play, okay? And they will figure it out at the scorer's table. They'll go to the two coaches, and they'll go to the TV network that's televising the game. But do they ever come to you and me in basketball? <laughs> Seldom, unless you, you have a really good relationship with one of those officials. Hey, what happened there? But – TV gets it, and the benches get it, and the poor radio guys are like, oh, we're still not sure what happened there. It, it's rare. I, I, Greg Nixon has occasionally. I see him all the time in Pullman. Yeah. Um, Padilla sometimes will, I think, he, and I don't know if it's like for me, you know, or, or for, um, you know, you, you know, yeah, on, it, on the it, other I side. I have a pretty good relationship with Tony. Yeah. But Tony's pretty loud at the scorer's table oh. when he says what the call is. Yeah. So if I flip my earpiece that <laughs> over and it's not super loud, I can catch it. But, uh, you know, you're spot on. There are times where we are left a little in the wind on the broadcast. And if I figure it out in post game. I'll ask Kyle if he's not too hot about it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, Chaz, man, it's all, we could go for hours on this dang thing. I'd love uh, hopefully, to. I'd... Hopefully we'll get a, a good 20 minutes to 30 minutes in the press box prior to the game. It's always great to to hear your voice and to chat with you. Uh, you, you and Alex, tell Alex I said hi. Hope to see him. Alex comes to mind for a couple of reasons. Alex Brink, former Washington State quarterback, is Chaz's uh, you know, sidekick for the, the Cougars. But I remember when uh, Alex was playing quarterback at Sheldon High School in Eugene when I was still working in the Eugene area. And then what I remember him from as a Cougar is – once or twice, when Joe Starkey was doing the 49ers and Cal, we had a couple of night games, and and Joe had to leave in the third quarter to catch a red eye, like back to the East Coast, and I had to fill in as play-by-play. One of those games was Alex Brink uh, against the Bears at the Memorial Stadium. So that, that's another fond memory I have of Alex. Great, awesome. guy, great, great guy. I never knew that anecdote. Yeah. I, I did always kind of wonder how to how to do the Niners and the Bears logistically, but um, I didn't know that you'd called Brinker's game in in Berkeley. I love yeah. that, and um, yeah, you guys kind of have a unique connection because you were in Eugene yeah. for a while, and and you know, Alex is a, a gifted broadcaster. He's a really bright guy, yes. and he's a wonderful person. And not only was he a fantastic quarterback in, in many regards underappreciated while a coup yeah. um, but I think they realized it after he left I think yeah. they figured they said oh wait we had a good one especially when the Texans drafted him they were yeah. like wait, wait a minute what did we have here and because um, the teams didn't bowl and and he always he had a six and three start one year that he really wants back and yeah <laughs> and it's always gonna gonna gnaw at him but he was great and their offenses were great I I read a list of uh it was a kind of informal you know top 20 list of top receivers in pack history and and the Cougs in a contemporary sense it was like Jason Hill Brandon Gibson and Michael Bumpus they're all breaks receivers. Breaks receivers, exactly. Was, that's a great offense. You got three pros. You got Jedediah Collins who went pro. You got Jerome Harrison who went pro. You got a pro quarterback. I mean, you, it's like as loaded as it gets. And um, and he, I just he's the best. So yes. that's awesome. I, I can't wait to to see you guys. You know, see you and, and eavesdrop while you guys reminisce a little bit. 
Yeah, it'll be fun. We we look forward to it uh, up to the Palouse. And uh, Saturday's game will be on the air with the Bud Light Tailgate Show beginning at 1.30. Kickoff at 2.40. Uh, homecoming for Washington State. And we look forward to uh, the game and, of course, looking to see uh, how you guys uh, – Bounce back against uh, the Bears, and the Bears coming off maybe their best performance of the season. Chaz, we appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Have a good week of prep, and uh, take care, my friend. Thank you, Todd. Thank you very much. Same to you. Safe travel. Thank you, Matt Chaz. And our play-by-play announcer for the Washington State Cougars. That wraps it up for this week's podcast. We appreciate Coach Wilcox, Ben Coleman, and Matt Chaz now for being with us. On the air again, Bud Light Tailgate Show beginning at 1.30, kickoff 2.40 from Guessa's Field. Guessa Field. At, in Poland. So we got a little change from Martin Stadium to Gessen Stadium, and we look forward to the contest. Until then, I'm Todd McKim. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Bears. This has been Bear in Mind, the official podcast of Cal Athletics with your host, Todd McKim. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of the California Golden Bears Sports Network.